Let's go. What's up, everybody? What is hey, up? What's up? Back with What's the focus, up? back with back with the all whites, back repping the all whites. Not the yes, not the white hat, not the white hat anymore today, but um we need to keep up with the saying like back on the mic with the all whites, something like yes. that. You know what I mean? Back, yes. the, back <laughs> on the mic with the all whites. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for all coming. Um, we do appreciate your your support so far um, throughout these past two weeks. We're on to our third episode, Police Check, and this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. So um, we're gonna we're gonna get right into it. Um, before that, we're gonna get into our land acknowledgments. Yes, and today we have a special land acknowledgement that we are going to be reading out. It's important to acknowledge Canada's history of enslavement, racial segregation, and marginalization as it has had a devastating impact on people of African descent. The existence of systemic anti-Black racism and inequality in education, housing, employment, health, criminal justice, politics, and other areas can be directly traced to the complex legacies of the dehumanizing enslavement of African people in Canada. Canada has neither recognized nor educated the public adequately about the historical facts related to slavery and the anti-Black racism it has produced. Despite this, Black Canadians have made outstanding contributions to Canada in every field, which is all the more remarkable given the legacy of slavery. It is necessary to recognize the history of Black Canadians in order to build a more just society free from the discrimination. Thank you for that, Rebecca. Um, I think that is very important as well, um, leading into our discussion today, um, which is police check. Um, this discussion is going to be uh, very authentic. You know, we're gonna have real life experiences and real discussions as well. So without further ado, um, let's get into our let's get into our discussion, police check. Let's welcome our first guest. And our first guest actually is um, one of one of our own, another focus on youth coordinator. Um, he works in a separate separate section than we do, but we we love him. We love him. He's like he's like a brother. So welcome, yes. Mr. Colin Creighton. Hello, hello, hello. The focus. I feel so honored. I'm here. Look at me. Yes, sir. Uh, do my yes. thing. Uh, so hi to everyone who may not or do know me. My name is Colin Creighton. I'm actually just going into my second year of university at McMaster uh, University. I just finished my first year, which is amazing. Um, and I think one of my fun facts that I wanna share with you guys really quickly is that I actually have a turtle named Pistachio with my sister. Uh, it's really Pistachio. funny. Yeah, it's really funny. If you've ever watched the movie uh, Masters of Disguise, he's trying to get into like this turtle club and basically he takes it like way too literal. And so he goes, oh, I'm not turtly enough to be a part of your turtle club. <laughs> and his name is Pistachio. And I and when me and my sister bought him, we were like, oh, come on. We already know. Turtle's name, Pistachio. So uh, hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Everyone's uh, excited yeah. for you, Colin. A lot of love in the comments. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But so I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, shouts out to McMaster University, even though... I don't really go there. We won't get into that today, but you know, yeah. shout out to McMaster. Rebecca, take us away. 
All right, up next we have another student, Mr. Chris Anthony. Hi. Hey, how are you? How are you um, doing? I'm I'm doing good. Um That's great. Uh well my name is Chris Anthony. I'm a grade 10 student at Senator O'Connor High School. OCS! Um, I enjoy playing sports and being active. And one fun fact about me is that I come from a family of 11. Oh, wow. Five boys and six girls. Real quick. Wow. Please tell us which kids you are. Like, are you like older or like younger? Like, where are you I'm, at in the family? I'm where do you rank? I'm the second last. Wow. You're one of the I younger ones. Yeah. Hold me, up. We got, we young, got a lot youngest of Youngest represent. <laughs> Youngest represent. Oh my youngest god, you do, Colin? Yeah, I'm the youngest. I just I'm the oldest. <laughs> youngest represent. Wow. Youngest yeah. represent. Listen, the oldest walked so that all of you guys could run, and we're gonna. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh wow, that's how it is. <laughs> yes, that's how it is. Oh man, okay. thank you, Chris, for being here. Uh, shouts out to OCS. Um, I went to that school. Love that school best school in Toronto, but we'll get into that. Um, we're going to get into our next guest, our next guest, Mr. Mark, M -M -M Mark Rainford. Where, where's your guest? Here I am. Um, thank you, everybody. First, thank you for inviting us. I want to shout out Mike Consul. Mike's my boy. We go way back. Um, I've been fortunate enough to meet with Rebecca Zachary. Uh, just met Chris and Colin today, and I love the energy, and I cannot wait to be a part of this. Uh, fun fact, I am a Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame inductee for soccer. Wow. I know you can't tell right now because I'm old, but it still really happened, I promise. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm also a youngest. Yep. Youngest represent. Yeah, so yeah. Youngest represent. I'm a youngest too. I'm a youngest too. <laughs> Yo, Rebecca, there's an alliance for me. There's an alliance for me, Rebecca. Listen, I don't know what's going on, but... I still represent the oldest guys, and I still stand with what I said earlier. We <laughs> walked so you guys could run. So yes. Yes. All right. Up next, we have Mr. Sergeant Milton. Hey. Yes, sir. Yay! Yay! Hey, Rebecca, I I'm with you. Yes. The oldest yes. rocks. We we paved the way. I, I, yes. <laughs> I, I love my youngest uh, sisters, you know. I always tell the people, in, in, in essence, I hit the triple, she hit the home run, right? So so, so the older one paved the way for the younger ones. Yeah. All right? So as for myself, um, I came to Canada from Jamaica when I, when I was 11 years old, and I love to throw that out there because I, I really think that being from Jamaica and born and raised there has given me a perspective here in Canada that I'm glad I had. So glad that I grew up there, you know, and coming here and where I can take the, the, the best from both worlds, you know? So presently uh, I'm an officer with the Toronto Police Service. I've worked in so many different areas and different fields in policing, but the one that's given me the most joy is working with the youth, whether in schools, or in the community, so I'm a community um, advocate, and that and that's my passion, and that's what I love to do. As a fun fact, I hear music and I have to dance. I hear music, I have to dance. Yep. Yep. 
Yes, yes, yes. He's so the I dancing also, officer. Yeah, I also heard that you have the term dancing officer. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that would be displayed today, but if you guys recognize him, uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe some videos are in the schools. Uh, shouts out to Officer Milton for always giving, for always brightening Students' Day. Thank you, thank you for being here, sir. I, I think the hook on that is Officer Boogie. <laughs> Officer <Yes>. Boogie. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Oh boy! All right, guys. Thank you all for being here. Um, so obviously, our discussion today is police check. We're gonna get right into it, and um, I guess I could speak on my my myself. Right? There's often times where um, I, I would be driving. I'm a young driver as well. So I'm a young driver. I'll be driving and stuff. And then I always want to be very cautious, right? Very, very cautious as a, as a driver. And I'm, I'm like, mm, I don't know if this police officer, I see, I'm not doing anything wrong. Speed limit, correct everything. But for some reason, back in my head, I'm like, oh, this police officer is bad. I don't know. I don't, I feel like he just want to maybe ruin somebody's day. I don't know. Do you, I, I, and being, being in the police force, uh, uh, Sergeant, and as well as well, Mark as well, because Mark, you previously uh, were in the force. Um, do you guys feel like you guys get like a negative perception? And how do you guys feel like as a whole, the the police officer uh, title is perceived? You want to go first, Mark? You you go, brother, and then I'll I'll add to to your wisdom if you have anything left over that I could cover. No, no. Uh, um, for me, um, sometimes the perception in the community is very rough. And sometimes that perception comes with how we at times are policed and we haven't done enough to, to I guess, thwart the mindset of individuals in the community that feels that way. Like yourself, myself being a, an, an officer now, I became a police officer because of how I grew up. And I grew up literally running from the police. I wasn't right. a criminal, I was actually an honor student in school, but I had a fear of the police because of the community that I grew up in and how the police at that time interacted with my community. Now we're doing a much better effort. Now we're trying harder now, but at that particular time, the only time we saw the police is if someone was being arrested and it was rough. And I had a couple of negative runnings with the police and I'm not gonna get into each one of them because it'll, it'll be just take up too much time. But that negative running with the police is what propelled me to become a police officer because what I went to school for was something completely different. But in my mind, I'm saying, well, if this is how the police is treating the community, if this is how the police is treating a law-abiding citizen, then how would it treat someone that maybe speak back to them, maybe have a little chip on their shoulder, so to speak? How would that individual get treated if I'm going to be treated in this manner? So that drove me to say, you know what, I'm going to become a police officer because I want to show policing what pro proper policing should be, as well as say to the community, you can also embrace police because there will be police that's there that will want to work with the community that's different. So don't paint all police with the same brush and saying to the police, don't paint all the community, community members with the same brush. And so that was my mindset. So it, it is difficult and I still know it's there. It's probably worse now to some extent in terms of the perception, you know, but I, I do understand we've earned some of that negativity, you know, and we're trying to correct it. And there's great officers inside trying to do that. And unfortunately, there are some that's still upholding the whole way of doing things, you know, Mark. 
Yeah, so I, I agree with Milton, and I think, you know, Milton and I have a lot of similarities. I was also born in Jamaica, and I moved here when I was eight, and I didn't have very many run-ins with the police growing up, um, but I did have a very negative encounter with the police when I was 29, and it, ins it was so traumatic that what it caused me to do was say, you know what? I'm not going to fall victim to how police engage me as a black man. I'm going to go inside the castle and I'm going to make sure that my ear is in that conversation. When they're making decisions to do something, how they engage the community, I'm going to be one of the people that is engaging the community. I'm going to be that buffer, right? But what I want to add to this is, you know, Zachary, you talked about the, the, the anxiousness that you feel when you drive. And for those that might not understand what Zach is talking about, that is so embedded into the consciousness, I think, of the Black community that even me, as a person who policed, I was a police officer for 15 years, even when I wasn't working and I knew the job, as I drove, if there was a police car behind me, I would still feel nervous, even though I was an officer, even though I did the job, even I, though I knew what they could and could not do, I would drive and constantly check my mirror. And I was like, when is this guy going to pull me over and what's going to happen? Right? So if that can happen to me as an adult man who policed for 15 years and I still feel nervousness, then I would say to anybody listening, what Zach is talking about is hugely important. And this is why it's so valuable to have this conversation, right? Um, to be able to talk to a Sergeant Milton, to be able to talk to somebody like myself and say, how do we help move people towards this issue? And the issue is trust, right? How do we help police see young people, young racialized people, as vulnerable and not vulnerable to the the powers of the community but vulnerable to the power of police they're afraid and how do we help officers support a more trusting environment and at the same time how do we help young people say let me give police a chance again even though i'm scared right and we need to actually encourage both sides to take a step towards each other and if we're if only one person's moving, we're gonna have problems, right? Right. I just yeah. have one follow-up question, really quick. Sorry, um, Officer Milton and Mark as well. You guys both touched on uh, the racial aspect of it, right? And um, being police officers, um, you guys both mentioned like your path was because you saw. Uh, I would. I would. Want, I don't want to. I don't want to really put words in your mouth, but you saw. I see an opportunity to make change. That is why. Right, you entered that that police force. So I just want to know how was the how was the like, um, I guess feedback from like your closest friends or or people that you see with your same color. How did how do you how how do how are you seen you seen as black men um, in the police force like differently than I guess another yeah. race. That's a that's an awesome question, Milton. If I could go, we'll maybe alternate. I'll share this yeah. with you because this was really powerful for me. Is that I, again? I I joined when I was twenty nine years old. Okay, and I remember the day I got my police uniform, 
And what I did was I put it on and I drove to my parents' house. I had a key to their house. I rang the doorbell, opened the door and walked in in my uniform. And when my parents saw me, their physical response wasn't, hey, our son graduated. Like, he's a police officer. They were nervous. They were sitting on their couch and they huddled up together. You could see that they were scared. Right. Wow. And and so when we talk about how um, deeply entrenched the fear is of police, when my parents see their son of 29 years, they've known me my entire life. I put on a uniform and all of a sudden they have to now find a way to see their 29 year old son behind a tiny piece of fabric. They have to fight through that image to go. There's my son that I love. Let me hug him. Right. So it, it takes, you know, we spoke before we went live about courage. Right. And one of the things that's preventing, I think, um, some of the change in policing is that for a lot of racialized people, they have to make a choice when they're about to make change in institutions. They are well aware that if they cross the line, they might not be able to come back. People might not welcome them back, right? So people might cast them aside. And the problem is, and Milton, maybe you can touch on this, is that when we entered policing, it's not like policing was saying, welcome men of color. We are so happy to have you here. We can't hear, wait to hear your thoughts on how we can better police the black community. We weren't welcomed with open arms. Right. And so what ends up happening is when you join, you end up on an island by yourself for a little bit. And even black officers are not readily willing because it's sort of this thing like Milton end up they they'd poke fun out and go, What well, are you guys having a meeting? Because we're black and talking together, therefore we're up to something. Right. So it, it becomes a challenge. But I, the the final thing I'll say about this is when you understand your purpose and we're talking to Catholics, people that believe in something bigger, a higher power, when you have your purpose, you then have to put your faith in God to say, listen, regardless of what is going on around me, I trust that you will be by my side, right? And so ultimately, I think Milton and I can tell you, the end of the day, the conversation you have with respect to courage is, God, will you be there when I fall? Right. And with that, I'll kick it to you, Milton, because I think it's this is a critical piece, right? Well, yes. And and to add to what Mark is saying and what Mark was saying about the fear of policing, I'm going to touch upon that a little bit, then touch into the question you just asked. Presently in this COVID era, you know, we were given latitude as a people, just in generality, to be able to drive without renewing your sticker, as well as your license if, you know, you didn't have it right at that moment, and your documents. But I spent over 300 and something dollars online, you know, to ensure that I had my documents and it was up to date. And the primary, primary reason why I did that was fear of just being pulled over randomly. And, and I say that to say this, I knew that I wouldn't get a ticket, but sometimes I just got tired of being pulled over by the police. 
and tired of having to explain myself because some of the times when I get pulled over because my vehicle was registered to Toronto, the question that I get asked is, what are you doing here because I live in Durham region and where are you going? Now, if it happened once, I'd say, you know what? You know, that's just a coincidence. But it's happened several times that that was the response that I got and that I received as an officer. So, you know, like Mark was saying, I made sure that everything was up to par, that if I get stopped and got pulled over, I can address the situation and the circumstance in a different manner. But I just didn't want the hassle. So I just made sure my documents were up to place. Now, in terms of, you know, the community responding to me being an officer and being a black man, um, my family and those around me were thrilled, you know, to the most extent of me becoming a police officer. And a lot of the older black folks were pretty good. But I found that some of the young individual that I encountered in policing, and I was there to make it better for them. And unfortunately, they saw that uniform and didn't recognize that why I was there was to effect positive change and to make changes so that they could be safer on the street. And sometimes when you were interact with them and you're trying to teach them and try to show them and try to help them to better their lives because some of them were arrested, it was difficult being called Uncle Tom. When I look at someone that looked like myself and you're trying to, to, to do something on their behalf, and trust me, us as black people becoming police officers, as Mark said, we were not received well. I remember the first division that I went to work in, it was 41 division. At that particular time, I believe there was about 290 officers in the station. And when I came there, I came there with, I think, five other black officers. So now we comprise being nine black officers in a division of 290. I remember wow. three of us being in the station at the same time, two of us, three of us, changing. And a white officer walked in and said to us, I feel like a minority in here. Now, recognize this there was nine of us in 290 it just so happened that three of us were there working at the same time now fast forward about two years hence from that time i was in the cib which is the central investigation bureau criminal investigation bureau i was in the cib doing a six-month spot two brown officers came on the job in, in, in the division, and they happened to come to do their tour together before they started. While I've been the CIB, I was the only person of color in that criminal investigation bureau. When they came to do their tour, a white officer turned and said, they don't hire white people anymore. Wow. So some of the things I can't even imagine, begin to tell you some of the things that we have been through. I've been through circumstances where literally for me, trying to engage the community a certain way, showing the community compassion, policing in a positive manner, resulted in putting garbage on my lunch pail, you know, just, just some of the things that we endured. So at times it becomes frustrating when you're enduring that internally, to have your people on the streets that you're trying, you're enduring that for, then calling you an Uncle Tom, right? You know, so so sometimes that part of it is, is difficult, but I know as Mark said what my purpose is and why I'm there, you know? And I've encountered things within the service that I almost walked away from policing. I almost walked away because the burden internally, not from the people outside, but the internal pressure and the internal just, 
negativity and what they do to you, the things they say and how they treat you, almost drove me out of policing. But I was walking out the door, and as I was walking out the door, a thought came to me and I said, I made a commitment to the community and I made a commitment to the young people. So therefore, I'm not going to let them drive me out. And I turned back. I walked back in and I walked in that office and I said to them, I'm not going to allow you guys to drive me out of the service. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. And I'm here to stay. You know, and that's what transpired. Yeah. And hearing your story is like, it's making me emotional personally, because I have a friend actually who's going to university now because he wants to be a police officer. And we've had many conversations where he's kind of like told me like he's questioning which career he's going into because he's like, am I going to get judged if I become a police officer? Is it going to be like I'm like a snitch or like I'm going against my own community? And, you know, I, I mean, I personally like I'm not going into the police force, but like I try to remind him like, you know, we need representation. Like it's a good thing that you're going into the force. So I really hope. I really hope he's watching and listening to this conversation because I know it's been like uneasy conversations around this, especially in the beginning of the year when there was just like a lot of police brutality. And then there was just, I feel like everybody was going through a time where everybody just hated all cops. Like it was a cab going on and everything. And so, and that was it's like, he just graduated. He's just now going into university to become a police officer. And he's like, whoa, everybody hates police officers. I'm a black man. Am I going against my community? And I think, and like just seeing the represent, representation here, like he can be like, no, like we actually need people who look like me within this position. Yes. Yeah. And I want to go back on the first question, like just talking about how there's like the fear within the community, right? Because I know personally, until police officers started coming to the school, until I've had a conversation with police officers, I personally, you know, did not like them. I've seen, I've seen how they've treated um, some of my family members, my father, my the friends of my father and stuff. And I've seen some pretty graphic stuff. I've seen them just break into houses. And I, I like growing up, I did not really come from the best, the best area, I guess. And you know, you see a lot of that. And when you see that and police officers don't really make an effort to create a relationship with you, right? And then you, you're kind of put in a position where it's like, how can I trust the police officer? So I think um, like a really big problem um, within the fear that the community has is really just the lack of a relationship. We never interact with police officers. We don't want to be seen interacting with police officers. And then it kind of leaves us stuck. So, I mean, I want to pass this on to Colin and Chris Anthony. Like, how do you guys feel like like growing up or like right now? Like, do you guys, like, has police officers ever tried to engage with you or, or your community or your neighborhood? Like, what's your experiences within that? I, well, first, first, before I say anything, thank you, Mark and Milton. Like, I, we, we made jokes and we were saying how the oldest one paved the way and like that stuff. But you guys, you guys honestly did pave that way. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you guys took that first step. And even if it, even if it like affects any like one or two people that are watching right now to go down that career path, that's just amazing. I want to say thank you guys. Um, but for me personally, like, like to see it. It's all over social media, and I think that's how that's where it came from for me. And I never personally like, like personally, yes, I've had encounters, seen things, um, heard things, but for like the blunt of all that I've seen, it comes from social media. And when you when you scroll and you're looking through th things and just trying to be entertained and like get a good laugh, and then you see something like that, 
that is the only time it really, really affects me because that is like, that is where I am. Like, that's, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm doing the social media. I'm just doing it. Like I could be in that position where I'm walking down the street or I'm driving a car and all of a sudden I'm pulled over or I'm asked questions or just taken away because of like my skin color. And I, I know like just looking at social media and seeing those kind of situations and knowing that it could happen to me, that is what scares me the most, I think. And like, that is like, like that negative, like feeling that I get from watching those videos never really goes away. And it just ruins everything to be honest, ruins the vibe. Yeah. True. Uh, to kind of lean on what Colin said, it's very true. Like the burn of what I see does come off of social media, but like even before seeing anything on social media or before seeing other people's opinions on it, like, I feel like cops are just, in general, they're kind of intimidating, like, to be around. And in certain situations, you'd find yourself, like, scared or nervous because you don't really know. We've seen what happened, so we know anything can happen in that situation. Yeah. So if I could jump in on this, because I could have a couple of things that are really fascinating for me. The When I was in high school, so I, I grew up in Pickering, and when I was in high school, there was a black police officer that used to hang out around the school. And one of the things that he did extremely well was he would talk to all of the, all of us kids. Hey, what's going on? How's the neighborhood? Like really friendly, really chatty, super nice. That it it reached a point where when we saw his car, it was like he was like the ice cream truck and everybody would just flock to this guy and run to this guy's car. And years later, I saw him at a police function honoring a bunch of police officers and he didn't remember me. And I was now a uniform officer. I was in my dress uniform as he was. He was with his wife. And I said to him, you know what? You don't remember me. I remember you. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, I used to go to Dumbarton and you were the you are the reason why I joined police. I saw you as this great officer and I thought he was amazing. And then he made me believe, oh, I can't be a cop because he's amazing and I am not. So he raised the bar to a place that I wished I could be. And then I met a really bad cop who made me so angry that I went, oh, if they hire really bad ones, I'm better than this guy. I might not be as good as this guy, but I'm certainly better than this guy. <laughs> so I was able to find this middle ground, right? But what I'm bringing up is that one of the challenges I think the policing has is that we also default too often to race. So we make assumptions that if we see a cop who's black, we celebrate. And Milton, I mean, how many times have you had heard stories from kids that say the black cop is worse than the white cop? Right. Yeah, and so, yeah. So the reason why I bring this up is that I also had an experience as a cop where we went to a house and it was a black family had just moved in to a house that they bought. The people before the owners before them took the washer and dryer. The, the family moving in thought the washer and dryer came with the house. So they go downstairs, the washer and dryer gone and they start to cry because they have no more money. The white officer looks at them and says, my wife and I just bought a new washer and dryer. We can drive our old washer and dryer over here. We'll just give it to you. 
right? Uh, so this is a white cop talking to a black family. The other white cop says, yeah, you know what? I'll get my pickup truck tomorrow before work. We will drive this stuff to your house. So these two white cops came before their shift, drove this to the black family, moved the stuff in, hooked it up. The family was astounded and the officers went to work, right? And I bring it up because that's the story that never makes it to the news, right? And But what makes it to the news is when a white cop does something to a black person, right? And what doesn't make it to the news is when a black cop does something to the black community, right? So we also have to remember that what gets caught up in this is that the media has vested interests in pitting things against each other. They have a vested interest in putting community against police, black against white, and they stir the pot and watch us all get all bent out of you know our minds and, and lose it. And what we need to do is remember the us versus them is not cops versus community, black versus white. The us is people that want to work together, regardless of race, gender, religion, whatever. They say, I, you might be different, but we want the same thing. We work from love. And the them are people that say, I don't ever want to work from a place of love. I operate from fear. I get everything that I want through fear. And if we make sure that we always get the us, like right now, this room is an us. We've got lots of great students. We got a current cop, a former cop. We got a teacher, but we're all us. We're all people that want love to lead the way. And there are students that say, I'll never come online and see a cop. Hell no. I don't want to talk to that cop. I hate cops. And we have cops that will say, what? Go online and talk to kids. They're all gang members. Well, that's the them. Let let them stay where they are and let's come here together and we build things out of love, right? I'm going to add one thing to what Mark said, you know, because some, sometimes within the service, I talk to colleagues and I invite white, black, anyone to join me in the community in policing. You know, any all of my colleagues. And sometimes I say to my white colleagues, I say, listen, I speak frank. I said, you being a white officer, if you come in the community and you are genuine, regardless of what the community, if you are genuine, will come around to seeing things how you want them to see it, they may rebuff you initially because they don't know if they can trust you. But once you police in a certain manner and they learn to trust you, you might be able to have a bigger impact on that community than myself because they might not be expecting it from you. And that's how I sell it to many of my white colleagues because I know sometimes the negativities that we've experienced in the community most often has been at the hands of white officers because primarily there's a lot more white officers than there are minorities. Right? So that's how I feel it, because I really want us to work together collectively. And as Mark said, not us versus them. And that's the thing, sentiment that I hate within the police service. I don't want to hear it should be us versus them. I want it to be that the police is the community and the community is the police. How do we work together to fix the issues within our community? Right. And I think that's it. Sorry, go ahead. My bad. No, I was just going to say, and I think like another way to fix the community, because I know a lot of people, right, they may have traumatic experiences within 
like their encounters with police officers and stuff. And then like Colin mentioned, like we see a lot of it online and then we either become extremely desensitized or we become extremely triggered when we come across a police officer, right? And like my, like my thing now and what I kind of want you guys to put like, you know, your insights on is like, how, how, how do you think um, that relationship can be formed? Because for a lot of us, like even interacting with, like even trying to find students to come on for this webinar, it was difficult because it was like a lot of the people that we know don't even want to be seen interacting with police officers or to interact with the police officer. Or a lot of us have like really traumatic experiences with police officers, whether it's from at home or whether we're seeing online. And so the idea of creating a relationship just seems hard when I say, when I, at least in my opinion, I think both sides are a bit stubborn to creating that. But I mean, from your guys' experience, how do you think how do you think that could come together? Like, how do you think a relationship could even form? And I I know this is a tough question, but it's the reality. Like, on one end, it, 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 it is. Sorry. You, you know what? And, and for me, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it is as it is as difficult as people think it is, and I'll tell you why. It may take time. But it not, it's not as difficult. It's just that we have to commit. And I'm going to give an example to show what I mean. When I became an officer, I had a purpose. As Mark spoke about the other officer, I would go to the schools on my lunchtime, let the kids play with the car. I would go to the schools and I would read to the, to, to the, to the, to the kids. And for me, part of that was me saying, I do not want you to fear me. I want you to grow up understanding that police can be different from what you are used to. The Danzig shooting in 2012, I walked up in Danzig after that shooting in flip-flops, shorts, no gun, no uniform, and everybody in that community knew who I was because I walked up in that community in uniform, out of uniform, day in, day out, trying to break down the barriers. So for me, if we would commit to that, but it also takes the police to commit to it as well, as well as the community to commit to say, hey, let's give it a try. I remember going and sitting down with a unit commander you know, within the last year and a half, because I had a cousin who was coming from work with two of his, his friends in the car, all of them coming from work in their regalia, they're dressed up and they have the, the vest on that highlight the work that they did. A police officer was behind them for most of the way. Yet when he got to his destination, he was pulled over and ETF was there, guns pointed at them, you know, ordered out of their vehicle, down on the ground, the whole search, the whole nine yard. And the reasoning was that, you know, a robbery took place up the street, you know, in, in the opposite direction of where they were going. So the robbery would have been coming south. They were traveling north. Somehow it didn't make any sense to them. But when the police recognized that they had totally goofed up, as opposed to apologizing and sometimes, you know, reconciling with, the, with that young man, my cousin who's 32 years old, who was picking up his daughter of four years old. Everybody just took off and just left. And I'm talking ETF, gunpoint arrest, beaded gunpoint on my cousin. I spoke to that unit commander and I said, sir, the problem that we have as policing, we should have had a supervisor, a sergeant, or somebody, because supervisors were on scene. 
after the fact to speak to this young man and then have a home visit and follow up and speak to him and his family and his young daughter of four years old who's asking the question, why is the police after my father? Why does the police want to hurt my father? Four years old. My cousin had to bring that young lady to my house and we spoke and we chatted. But my thing is this, as police and sometimes when we go to these unit commanders and go to different individuals and we show them how things can be done differently and should be done to endear the community to make a difference. Now my cousin has a negative experience with the police, a negative impact. He tells me when he sees police, he cringes. Up until that point, he's never had a negative experience with the police. So me, I'm going to keep preaching internally to say, hey, we need to do things better. When we kick off the doors off somebody that might be a criminal, there's good people inside, you know, that don't understand what's going on, that may have guns pointed out at them. We need to follow up, speak to the family, you know, explain why we did what we did and offer that family help. How can we help you? How can we help this family? So I think if we commit to it and do it in a proper way, and there's going to be trials and error, there's going to be mistakes. But if both sides commit to saying we want this interaction to be better, we can do it. But it just talk, you know, we have to have these conversations, honest and open conversation and action meeting each other, interacting with each other, seeing the goodness, talking about the positivity, showcasing the positivity. And sometimes police, we're our own worst enemy because we do some great things, but sometimes we're not speaking about it, we're not showcasing it. And not only that, sometimes our message is not being heard because the community don't trust the messenger. So we have to police in a manner wherein the community trusts us. So when we speak to them, they hear, they believe, and then we can start from there from a policing perspective. But the community also have to have an open mind to say, you know what, we want this to work as well. Yeah, and I and I like how you brought up, you know, when you were talking about how some police officers break in and there's good people in there. And I think one of like the biggest problems is right after these occurrences, there's no help right after. The kids who witness these things, they don't go to therapy. They usually don't have an adult to speak to. Like these things just happen. Like they see their house torn apart. And this, it really, it really like it touches home like for me because I've seen it. And right after everybody just kind of cleans up around and goes back to normal. And you know, you don't get a chance to process how you just witness like a police officer break in, you know, for some a gun this big to, to their head, and they're like four years old. And then they don't talk to anybody after. They don't talk to their parents because it's not really like that within the household. I think mental health is a whole other thing to get into, but you don't talk to your parents. You don't even talk to your older siblings. You don't go to school and talk to your teachers about it. Cause, and then there's no therapy there. Like no one gets help right after this. And then it just makes the relationship with police officers a lot worse. It desensitizes you to what is wrong and right. And it scars you and it, it becomes a trigger then now when you're older and you know, like you may have to like, I don't want to say build relationship with police officers, but they're here to serve and protect, right? But it's like you you create these own biases where like, no, they're here, they're out to get to us. And then that that passes down. Now, when these people have kids, you know, it's like that within their kids. And then they spread that to their parents, uh, I mean, to their friends. And then like, I know even now, I remember in high school, like I just like, once I greeted a police officer, he said, hi, I said, hi. And my friends were like, whoa, like, 
why are you saying hi to like a police officer? Like, what's up with that? And then like it it just passes down and it creates that. So I think I like how you pointed that because I think a big problem is how nobody gets help right after. There's no therapy. There's no one to talk to right after the incidents. So if if I could add to this, and I I love what Milton's talking about. So Milton's talking about a collective right? Systems of change, systems of engagement. Um, what I'd like to add to this conversation is the individual, right? And the power of one. <laughs> and this is where this goes, right? Is that we are all inheriting a legacy, right? We're inheriting the legacy of those before us. And by the same token, we're leaving a legacy behind us. So how that works is that if we choose to inherit the relationship that the black community that we're a part of has with police, we can say, you know what? Our parents are right. Cops are bad. And we inherit it with no questions asked. And we told the line, right? And the cops do the same thing. The cops inherit... Yeah, you know what? Cops before us told us that the black community is dangerous and violent. Okay. We take it at face value. They've inherited a legacy that they are now victim of because they have not done anything to figure it out themselves. So they will then in turn pass it down to the next generation and then nothing changes, right? So when we talk about systems, systems are comprised of individuals making independent decisions that get stacked together to then be called community, policing, whatever the terminology is, right? If we then go a little bit, drill down a little deeper and we say, okay, policing is bad institutionally but then we have rebecca saying well hang on a second policing's got a ton of problems but last night i met milton how do you explain milton if the system is all bad well milton he's different okay milton introduced me to to mark okay well there's two well yeah Oh, but Mark introduced me to somebody else. Okay, so there's three. Well, at what point do we start to separate the individuals from the institution and start to say, okay, maybe our picture of the institution is not accurate, right? And the reason why I bring this up is that you, we all are a part of something that is very special. And Mike Consul has been doing this for years, Right. One of the amazing things about Mike is Mike has actually been able to, through his work, he's been able to recruit cops who maybe at first didn't buy into something like Small Camp. But Mike introduced cops to a whole bunch of incredible student leaders where it becomes very hard for cops to go, man, all kids are trouble. All kids are bad. Kids are bad. The reason why we have cops is because kids are bad. If you don't watch kids, they're going to rob, steal, cheat, burn. I mean, kids are society's biggest enemy. All of a sudden, cops are like, actually, you know, I've met Rebecca, Colin, Zachary, Chris Anthony. Like, how many do I have to show you before you start to go, actually, you know what? Young people are pretty damn amazing, right? So these are legacies, right? And every single one of us, every day that we live, we get to say, 
am I the legacy of something good where somebody refers to me and says, you know, man, I met Colin, right? Colin's incredible. And Milton's like, yo, Colin, come to my division. I want to introduce you to some people. And Colin's like, hey, Milton, can you bring a couple of your, your cops to my school? Waterloo, we're running something. You know any cops in Waterloo? Milton's like, yeah, let me give him a couple calls, right? And all of a sudden, we start to introduce each other to other legacy makers that are ones that are showing us that systems can change quickly if we choose to follow the right legacy. If we say to ourselves, you know what? Policing, and it's not a binary thing where we have to say, well, no, policing isn't bad. Policing's good because there's Milton. We can still say policing is highly problematic, but I don't think it's one Milton. I don't know how many good and how many bad there are, but what I do know is that both are there. And if we choose to follow Milton by showing policing that we all rally behind Milton and will help Milton with community safety, some of the other cops are like, man, I want to get in on that action too. And they will change your behavior, right? And when good cops come around and good cops are embracing Rebecca, Colin, Chris, Zachary, Eventually, the guys that, you know, your friends, Rebecca, they're like, yo, why are you talking to cops? When they start seeing everybody having a good time and they're the ones walking around going, man, I got to always look over my shoulder when the cops are around. Eventually, they're like, this is exhausting. I want to actually be on that side. Right. But it actually starts with the individual saying, I want to represent the best of people that look like me. That might be black youth. That might be policing. That might be young men being very respectful and kind to young women where young women say, hey, not all young guys are, are misogynistic, right? It might be young ladies that, you know, look towards young men and say, you know what? I see the good in you and, and I support you. And now men are, young men are like, man, I don't feel the pressure of having, right? We get to decide what we represent. And when we do that, I'm tying this back to you, Rebecca, and to you, Milton. You said it earlier. The older ones paved the way for the younger ones. And if we do it in our families, we can do it in our communities. We need Rebecca's and Milton's in policing, in community. We need those who pave the way so that the others can come in. Right? So this change only starts with one, right? Milton, I don't I'm know. I'm going to add to what Mark is saying when he says the power of one. Am I, can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Am I good? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, yes. Yeah, I'm just going to add to what Mark said with the power of one. And, and I'm not trying to blow my horn in any way, but I just want to use an example. What Rebecca was speaking about, the door being kicked off. I remember going to a school, and because I was in that school so often, there was a young boy of five years old. And his door got kicked down, and he came for his father. But that young boy remembered me being in that school and actually went to the principal and asked the principal if he could speak to me. Now, 
what I tried to do after that is advocate with the officers in the community, in the division saying, if any time you're going to a school, to an area where they have children and the door's been kicked off, please let me know so I can follow up at the school, speak to the kids, etc. But that young boy came to me and he wanted to speak to me because I had that relationship with him. I'd gone to his class, etc. And in so doing, I spoke to that young man and ended up taking him and his sister and a couple other kids to a, to, into a baseball game. I got the tickets from another officer who was running for politics and he had some tickets and I bought them food, etc. But that came from that interaction of one individual going to a school, speaking to those kids and those kids recognizing, you know what, I can speak to this officer. Right. So sometimes it takes just one individual. As I said, I invited other officers. Mark, Mark is, an, is you know, he might be downplaying certain things, an incredible officer. Many times, you know, when he left the service, I was actually like, I, you know, like my heart was like, no, my brother, I need you here fighting with me. But we still continue to work together, doing great things. You know, Mark runs different programs, going to the Royal Military Center, always working within the community and with young people, always pushing forward to them, working with OJ, which Ontario Justice Education Network. So for me, there's so many officers that have a certain mindset that's doing things that sometimes doesn't get showcased, unfortunately. But my thing is this, and there's so many great people. Mark can tell you, going to Smile Camp, every time I go to Smile Camp and engage the future, the young people, the greatness that they possess, I come back rejuvenated, physically tired, <laughs> but emotionally, mentally, spiritually rejuvenated because of the greatness in the young people. So I love to showcase the greatness in the community and tell the police and service how great these members are and these young people within the community. Do not fear them. Do not harm them. They're great. You know, and that's how I look at things and that's how I move forward. My, uh, uh, sorry. So my grade, my grade nine year, um, before I transferred to Senator O'Connor, I went to Blessed Cardinal Newman, and my grade nine year, um, obviously, I'm I'm fresh. I'm fresh from elementary school. I'm not really sure the whole vibe of high school yet. Um, and I came from a public school, so I didn't really know how Catholic schools operated and such. We had they had a police officer at the at the school, and the. The students, the grade 12 students and grade 11 students, some of the senior students, every day um, would yell, sell out, sell out, sell out in the hallway to that police officer. And he didn't do anything about it. Right. Um, he just he just took it. He just took it as is. Kept saying every day, sell out, sell out, sell out. You're such a sell out. You're such a sell out. Um, obviously, they were the same skin color. Um, and one day I one day um, I went I went to one of the dudes and I was like. Why do you like? Well, why do you guys keep calling him a cello? He's like, because the last dude that was here, we kept calling him a cello, and he left. So we're hoping that once we call this guy a sellout as well, he leaves too. But I'm like, so what? I'm like, why do you want him to leave? Like, what is the like? What's what's the big issue? We're like, I don't know. I can't. They're like, we can't operate properly when he's here. We're it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable, right? Fast forward. Fast forward to the following summer so after i transferred already i'm playing football with my friends at a park and a police officer a police officer uh he parks in the parking lot and um as a student as a as a young black student you get that radar you get that radar you're like ah oh. you're like uh oh we're the only ones in the park 
were the only ones in the park. And he he comes over and one of my friends, he literally packs his things and he's already gone. He's already at the bus stop. He didn't want it, that encounter. He didn't want to do anything about it. And he came and he came and he told us and one of my friends already left. And he said, why did your friend leave? I just wanted to throw around with you guys. <laughs> that, that was it. And what, what I'm trying to get at is like, I guess impact is a huge issue. Like we all talked about it, impact on your community, uh, connecting with your community. And I guess some of the people at Blessed Cardinal Newman, they didn't have that connection and that, that they didn't feel that impact from some people from the police force. So um, I guess Colin and Chris as well, because you guys are, uh, we're, all three of us, we're kind of around the same age. Like we're in those moments right now. Like how big is it for you guys for like uh, to build those type of relationships with uh, the police force or build, or if you have built that relationship, like how is it like right now? You know, it's funny when you mention that because I think I, I was, I it's COVID time. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm staying home. And uh, during, during the week, oh, like it's a Wednesday, just normal day, uh, a police officer shows up to my house and I'm, I'm immediately, I'm nervous. I have no clue why I'm like, I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything. What, what, what is going on? Like, like there's nothing going on. Like mom's at home, sister's in like her room. There's no one around. Like, I, I don't understand. And I'm already panicking. And before she even knocks on the door, uh, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I open the door. I say, oh, hey, is everything okay? And she goes, oh, um, someone said that you have a dog that looks like this. And so I was just, I was coming around to see if it was your dog. And it was that like relief of like, Oh my God, I didn't do anything. But it was also like, wow, I judged this person right away. And I didn't, I didn't even give them a chance. Like I didn't even talk to them. I didn't say anything. And I, I know how much that bugs me because I, I, I have that like, oh, of course people are going to have those stereotypes about me. Like they, they see me and they already have a, like a preconception and they're like, oh, this is how he's going to act. And it's only until I speak, that's when I prove them wrong almost. They're like, oh. He's not what I thought he'd be. And I couldn't believe that I did that to another officer. And I was just like, oh, that's that's not something that I want to be like I want happening to me. Why would I ever put that on another police officer? So I think it's just giving them that chance. You know what I mean? It's it's not like I, I can't. I, it's almost breaking that internal and external thing where the internal is telling me like, oh, I can't trust any of them. Where the, And the external is freaking out i just need to break those things down so i can actually have that conversation because the only way to understand someone is actually speaking it's that communication between between two people it's not it shouldn't be me versus the cop but again like mark said it should be just that communication between two people so i can actually understand uh and i think that's just like the main thing that you should always go for uh i think for me it's all I find it a little difficult to build a relationship with police officers because the neighborhood I live in and the way I see the people around me, how they um, portray cops is like, it's always negative. I've never really seen like a positive point of view from cops. Um, so that's why I find it a little difficult to try to trust a cop because not only are they a stranger, but it's like, you have to, you. You, you're always on your toes. You'll never, you never really know what you're going to get. So, yeah. 
you guys are you're touching on some really amazing things and uh, when we go through this stuff you know we this conversation has gone through a beautiful journey that what we're now doing is we started in these corners talking about our community and the police are in these corners and in an hour we are now talking about the conversation shifted to us saying we got to give each other a chance right we've already made enormous progress right and unfortunately i'm going to burst the bubble just a little bit and reinsert something in that that is a courageous act that Colin just spoke about and that Chris Anthony just spoke about, about breaking through your internal fear to not do to somebody something you don't like to do. And I encourage everybody to try that. However, the other piece that I'll add to this is ultimately at the end of the day, our paid police officers are expected as part of their job they're expected to build relationships with us right and the reason why i say that is remember we spoke about legacy and here's what's important milton knew this when he joined i knew this when i joined when you when a person decides to become a cop they don't live under a rock where they get to come out and go, hey, I'm joining a profession where everybody can't wait to see me because they love me. Every person that joins policing knows that they're going into a profession that people do not like and people do not trust. They already know where their starting point is, right? And so if they know that that's their starting point and they don't calibrate their conduct to bake into their um, interaction that, you know, and I'm sure Milton does this, as do I. As soon as I used to approach somebody, I assumed right off the bat that they didn't trust the police and they didn't like the police. To me, that was the starting point. I knew that when I'm in a uniform, if I go walk up to you, at the moment I'm walking up to you, you're saying to yourself, oh my God, this cop's going to do something bad to me. I knew that as soon as I locked eyes with a person. And so I knew that it was on me to exaggerate trust, to exaggerate kindness. I knew it was on me to absorb the disgust that you had at the hands of every police officer before me, the legacy. I knew I was inheriting bad conduct of police against people of color for decades. So I knew as soon as I approached somebody, my starting point was they hate me. The police officer me, not me, the individual. And I made sure that every time I spoke to somebody, I separated those two things. And I said, okay, I'm about to get blasted by a kid. If they called me sellout, they're calling my uniform and my badge number. They're saying, hey, 8354, you're a sellout. They're not saying, hey, Mark, you're a sellout. They don't know Mark. They're saying 8354 is a sellout. And I knew that I owed it to them to embrace them expressing their feelings of disgust. I knew that the only way I could actually help them was to see them every day. And when they said sellout, I still wave to them and say, hey, have a good day, guys. And they say sellout. I'm like, okay, cool. Are you guys going to be at school tomorrow? Yeah, we are sellout. Cool. I hope to see you tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, they call me sellout. I'm like, hey, how did last night go? 
None of your business sell out. Okay, cool. I'll see you tomorrow. That was what I was supposed to do because eventually you run out of hate. And all that's left at the bottom is the love you started out with when you were born. The hate is added, right? The hate just gets added by lived experiences, but the love is still, it's there, man, right? So, you know, I commend you, Colin. I commend you, Chris Anthony, Zachary, and Rebecca about us engaging the courage within each other to say, hey, let's give the cops a chance. But if you're not at a point to give them a chance, don't think you failed. You haven't. It's still their job to warm us up. It's still their job to say, I'm here for you, right, ultimately. And if they do that correctly, we do come closer to them. They actually have and to I, be the ones to start it, right? And I agree with Mark 100% because, you know, Mark and I, as I said, we're so similar in certain ways how we police, and that's why we get along so well and we see things so well. I remember working in 43 division and a young man was on a bus and he drove by and I was at a, I was guarding a scene. And my relief came at that moment. And as the bus drove by, that young man gave me the finger in the bus. He gave me and my partner. And the bus stopped on top of the hill at the West Hill Collegiate. And, and we followed the bus and the bus stopped. And I literally stopped the bus and I got on the bus. And I asked the young man, he was with his girlfriend, if we could have a conversation. He said, yes. And we got off the bus and I explained to the driver and the people so they didn't think I was going to abuse this young man. And I said to this young man, um, why did you give me the finger or give us? Because I was with a partner. My partner was white. And he said to me, officers, I'm going to speak plain. Officers have been assholes to me in the past. So I said to him, sorry. I said to him, have I been an asshole to you? He said, no. I said, have my partner been an asshole to you? And he said, no. And we started a conversation and we chatted for a while and I never put his name in my memo book. You know, because the community sometimes, if you put their name in the memo book, you're going to come after them. So sometimes we just need to know how to police the community. So I said to him, you know, after we spoke and we had a great conversation because those barriers were you know, being broken down, I asked him his name. He said his name is Omar. I shook his hand and I said, uh, you know, may I give you a ride home? Because, you know, I just took you off of a bus. May I give you a ride home? And he said, yes. But then his girlfriend, she said, and, I, and she said, no, I cannot go home in a police car. My parents would kill me. So I respected that and let them get on the next bus. About a week later, I visited the school that Omar went to. When I visited school, Omar left his friends to come and speak to me. That relationship grew to the point I gave him my personal number. Whenever Omar had questions about policing and why police did what they did in the community, Omar always called me. To the point that Omar, and the last time I heard of Omar, he was away teaching in, I think it was Japan or something of that nature. But not only did I speak to Omar, I remember going to going to Grundy, which is, uh, you know, working with the Aboriginal community, and Omar's family was there. And man, was I ever relieved, because I said to myself, I am glad I treated him with respect and dignity, because how could it be around his family if I treated him a certain way? That being said, and I added to what Mark said, I also been in the community when people have thrown disparaging remarks towards me. But because I knew I didn't have the time to de-escalate the situation, to speak to them and to break down those barriers because I had a call, I never responded. 
I just took it and went on because if I responded and didn't get a chance to address it correctly, then their presumption would be, see, I told you those officers are like that if I addressed it, but didn't have the time to do it properly. So sometimes you engage by saying, hello, how are you? And leave it be, but don't engage in a conversation that you cannot finish, if, especially if they're yelling and screaming. And sometimes you may have to kind of rein them in. Sometimes I've just had to let, let it be. So you, you, you police in a manner and you say to yourself, how can I make a positive impact? And if I can't make a positive impact, the worst is I leave that person how they thought in the first place, but not any worse. Yeah. And I think one point that I took from what you and Mark just said was patience. I think that's what it is. I think yeah. having patience will definitely be the key to building that relationship. I think if, you know, if every, I, obviously we cannot expect everybody to have their tempers low, but I think on behalf of the police officers, if they have patience to kind of build that relationship, to want to build that relationship, then that works. And then with the same breath, I just want to like, this discussion wouldn't be complete if I didn't ask this question to you guys, right? Um, in regards to patience, it's just, what advice do you have for those who maybe can't stay out of trouble? Like youth who struggle, you know, maybe to follow the law or maybe they're in an environment where they just may be involved in a few mishaps and stuff. Because right now we're talking to like, us three, like, I mean, us four, we're all students, right? We're probably not in as much trouble or anything, but what can we do for students or for kids who do have trouble, you know, following the law or like staying safe, you know? Because we, we have to also think about them, right? And I know we cannot expect every police officer to be completely patient. Of course, they have a job at the end of the day, but like when it comes to youth arrests, when it comes to how police officers treat younger people. In my personal opinion, I think I think youth deserve way more patience. I think it's unfair to immediately be so aggressive. Even even if the acts they're the acts that they're doing are pretty serious, right? What 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 can we do? What advice do you have for someone who maybe, you know, is struggling to follow the rules or struggling to, you know, be on their good behavior? Mark? Um, you know, that's, uh, it's a fantastic question. And I think that it's not, obviously it's not an easy one to answer. So I think that there are a couple sort of components that we first have to get to, right? Cause the, the first thing I would say about even trying to succeed at that is to recognize an individual as being just that an individual one person's reasons for getting you know caught up in any sort of criminality or, or antisocial behavior is probably a more broad term right um some people get caught up in antisocial behavior because they have learning disabilities right yeah. so they, they have um compulsion disorders right they're not able to actually have the discipline to not do something right so um there there are studies that actually show that um, undiagnosed ADHD kids have higher rates of criminality because they they actually don't have the discipline to wait, right? So if they see something, they don't have the discipline to be like, oh, I don't have enough money today. Let me go home or let me save for a week. They're, they hone in on it and they can't get it out of their head. They take it, right? 
that's a whole different kind of issue than somebody that has a hundred bucks in their pocket and they say, no, I'm not going to give you my hundred bucks. I'm taking it. So how you would deal with those two kids are completely different, right? So the first thing would be to try to figure out what do you have, right? Um, Antisocial behavior also can be done for a lot of emotional reasons, right? People that are hurt by family members, they've lost family members. Um, they've been let down by various systems, education, policing, community, right? And so their, their reasons for antisocial behavior is a way to lash out, to, to release pain, right? So now you've got another thing that you have to figure out what is the proper solution for somebody in pain? Um, what is the, the solution for somebody that's got sort of behavioral issues, right? And then you have the sort of more uncommon one, which is your person who simply has a desire for the excitement of criminality, right? Like, you know, and I'll use the example out here in Durham, they arrested a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old from Brampton, who came out to Durham. So imagine they drove 14 and 16. So they're not licensed. They drove from Brampton and gunpoint um, robberies at three different stores. Right. So I know we speak about patients with young people, but that is a whole other kettle of fish, right? 14 year old and 16 year old that actually plan to steal a car, drive it across the city to rob from somewhere that they couldn't possibly be tracked, they're showing a real uh, criminal mind, even at a young age. So how you would deal with that person is yet again quite different, right? So I, I think that the first solution is not treating a, a young person in antisocial behavior like another. You really have to say, okay, I am dealing with Mark at 16. I don't care if I've seen this a thousand times before. This is the first time I've seen Mark. And let me start with Mark. Like if I don't have the experience of dealing with a thousand Marks, because Mark deserves to be treated as just Mark. And if you, if we do that, we have success because what we're saying to Mark is your issues matter. And we're going to come up with a solution that is solely for you. You are not going to be in something, some program where Milton is standing beside you and both of you can go, oh yeah, Officer Mike Consul, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, he put you in the same thing. Oh, okay, so you're number one and I'm number two. We're just numbers? No. That's, I think, the key with young people is they need to know that you actually see them as being unique and their problems are unique, right? And then you, whatever is required for them is what you're going to do. If it's six months or six years, it, that's what it's going to be, right, Milton? And, and Mark has said, you know, most of what I would say to an extent. And what I'm going to add to that is, as policing, we now have to branch out and work with more social agencies. And there's something called a focus table, and and I've joined up and to be part of such a focus table, wherein we bring social agencies together and different social agencies, and we say when a young people or a person is in trouble, we try to identify it, and we're saying, as Mark is saying, and and that's happening right now, is just to get it out there more. What is this individual's needs? What is the family need? So not just the individual alone. 
How is this impacting the family? And which social agency is equipped best to deal with the issue and the, so and the circumstance? So this is where this concept of defunding the police coming in, wherein my thing is this, let's get more agencies on board working collectively and interactively with the police to resolve some of these issues. So my take on that is put more money in initially so that money can be subtracted later on wherein we may not need the police in the same extent as we do now. So my thing is how do we all start working together, having those focus and table discussion where we identify the need of that child, of that young person, as well as family issues. Is it a home issue? Is it a housing issue? Is it mental health issue? Let's recognize it and then deal with it and as Mark says, individually. Absolutely. I think um, I think that's a that's a good place, you know, next steps. I think that's a good place to 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 come to come to a close our conversation. Um so I just want I just want to thank you guys um, Sergeant Milton, uh, Mr. Mark, uh, Colin, and Chris. Um, thank you guys for being a part of this discussion. Um, are there any last words, any final thoughts, any words of advice anyone would like to share? I'm, I'm yeah, the only thing well, I'll say my, is, go ahead. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Milton, go ahead. Well, I have a motto that I live by and I go by. And for me personally, you know, because I'm put in a position where I speak to individual and I'm expected to teach and to counsel and to guide. And I said, the day that I'm no longer willing to learn is the day I'm no longer fit to teach or instruct. And for me, I learn more from young people than I ever learned in my entire life. So my thing is this, as young people, Keep pushing the boundaries, keep pushing the issues, keep speaking about them, keep letting your voices be heard. Be courageous, don't be afraid. Trust me, there are people that will listen and you will impact the future in great ways. So don't give up, bring others on board and you know what? The future can be great and you guys will be leading the way. Awesome. I, I thank you all for... Um allowing me to take part in this um and i'll share this we, we spoke about this before we went live but i know that we have an audience and i know that this will be sort of available to, to other young people and just like milton i also have a motto that i live by and i have a nine-year-old daughter and i tell her this all the time that every day that you're alive you are living with the best ideas adults have at the current time adults do not have a bag of good ideas that we say no these good ideas don't come out until august or they don't come out till 2022 these are the best things we can do now so to all young people as you embark on this world and you take things on and you look at the surroundings you're in when you see a problem that you think you have a solution for Never assume an adult has the solution. If you have it in your mind, engage one another, engage the, the, 
the assets in your life, you, you reach out to the Mike console who will reach out to a Milton and a Mark. We'll reach out to our networks and we'll put you on a platform where you bring the solution to people who can enact it. And if they will not enact it, then you go back to your peers and say, you know what? The old people are not listening. We got to do it now. We don't have time to wait. Good ideas do not have time to wait. They're like fruits and vegetables. Their expiry date is quick, right? So let's take action immediately. Don't wait, okay? Colin, Chris, any final words? Um, Yeah, Chris, you can go. <laughs> okay, thanks. I was just gonna say, um, before it all ends, I just wanna say thank you for letting me be a part of this. And I loved hearing the opinions from the police officers because I think that's something that you would never really get to hear. So thank you for that. Uh, honestly, I think Chris just stole what I was about to say, but um, what is it called? No, seriously, thank you uh, for this, because this was amazing. And I, if I were to say like an advice, because I'm so grateful that I even got a chance to be on the focus, like to talk with you guys, I think just seizing that opportunity of anything um when it comes to you like it there's such a big thing about like yes versus no and no always just shuts down what's possible what may happen and with me i'm so glad that i even said yes to one thing to where it led me here like i'm just grateful that through everything that happened that i even got to be on here and have this chance uh i'm, I'm thankful for that i'm thankful for just saying yes to one thing that could have led me here. So I think that's what I want to leave off on. Um, but thank you. Thank the year of yes. <laughs> okay, so thank you guys uh, for being a part of this discussion. Um, truly, truly, um, I've learned a lot. Um, really appreciate it, um, all the knowledge um, that was spilled here. Um, and definitely I'm gonna follow up you know, we're going to have these conversations off the off the off the record as well. But um, truly, thank you guys for the knowledge, um, for the experiences and for your opinions as well. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Take care, guys. All righty. Oh, put down the wrong person. <laughs> Trying to get rid of me or what's going on? <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, wow. That was a great talk. Um, I think one that was well overdue and well needed as well. Yeah. Um, just to hear the other side, you know, you, you always hear so much negatives in, as well, but you don't really hear the positives that come with uh, uh, the police force and um, their great work that they do behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm very grateful for it. This is definitely a new experience for myself as well you know, just even sharing my, getting the chance to share my own experiences and then to see, you know, cops in a better light and then cops that are, you know, of color. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So if you guys do want to know more about uh, maybe something that we've talked about or something that we may have not said, um, some school supports that you can lean on to is a teacher, a CYU guidance counselor, vice principal, or principal, a school social worker, or a school psychology staff, and as well, um, school police officers. You know, uh, we have some of those in our post-secondary, um, even though it's virtual right now. But 
Yeah. And if it is after school hours, there are, of course, community supports. You guys can check up What's Up Walk-In at whatsupwalkin.ca or call Mental Health TO at the number that is up on the screen. Or you guys can call Kids Help Phone, not Kids Help Phone uh, with that number up there or text connect to 686868. Yes. So uh, as you guys know, our focus on youth, uh, the focus.foy is available on Instagram. All of our updates will be posted on there for next episodes, for previous episodes. That is where you can find links to our new Spotify. So we are, have available um, Education and Family last week was, is available now on Spotify. You can listen back to it. Um, and this one will be available as well. So please tune in, um, listen in. If you have not maybe caught the whole thing, don't worry, we got you covered. Yes, we do. And for next week's episode, we are going to be discussing social media. Next week, we're gonna talk about the harms of you know wanting to be recognized on the internet and what comes with that, like comparing yourself, cyberbullying, and the safety of the internet. This is another big conversation. I'm excited for that one. Woo! I'm already, you know, like I'm already, I'm already just looking forward to it. So uh, yeah. tune in and it's going to be a good one. Aside from that, um, that is all for us. Um, it's crazy how fast time goes on here, you know, but um, it is what it is, you know. Um, so on behalf of Focus on Youth, on behalf of The Focus, my name is Zach. I'm Rebecca and we're going to see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.